0: Retirement is often seen as a destination, but we believe it's an opportunity to pursue your passions, realize your dreams, and live a purposeful life. Great decisions, incredible lives. Retire With Intention podcast is about more than just money. It's about embracing the things that truly matter, the experiences, the relationships, and the impact you leave behind. Here is your host, John Kriegmer. Hey everybody, John here again. Thank you so much for uh, zooming in for us here at Great Decisions, Incredible Lives, and every single week, man, I love meeting people and uh, just introducing everybody to different friends of us and friends of our firm and people I've learned, met over the years and people I've met recently that have got some incredible information and backgrounds to help you make great decisions just to live that incredible life you always envisioned and it's one of those things, you know. Today we're talking to Steph. And Steph, I've over the last thirty years, I have just come to realize that there's some incredible people that we get to meet and work with every day, and just to hear their stories and to come alongside in some little ways to give them a little more knowledge, a little bit more, maybe a tip here, a trick there, or even a strategy uh, to walk through things better. And so that's why I really wanted to have you on the show today. And so, Stephanie, guys. Uh, Let me give a brief introduction of her. I'll have her kind of fill in the holes that I missed. Um, She is a marriage and family therapist specializing in financial therapy. And Steph, I want to tell you, it's like every single day, um, Stacy and I, my wife, we kind of laugh. It's like, man, what we do is financial planning, it's wealth management, but we're also kind of like, In the room for marital counseling, it seems like a lot, so I'm excited to have you here and really focus on helping couples navigate financial challenges during retirement planning. You have a Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy and uh, and also a Texas licensure, uh, combining expertise and compassion to transform couples' lives. I also serve as an associate professor at Our Lady of the Lakes University uh contributing to education and research in your field. Um you're on an incredible mission to help foster financial harmony and emotional well-being in couples. And Steph, I am so excited to have you here today.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you so much for having me. It's just it's really exciting to be here.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, on that intro, did I miss anything there you want to anything else you want to highlight?
1: No, you nailed it. I, I guess I would just say I, um, I practice out of Houston, Texas. I have in-person appointments here at financial therapy, Texas. That's the name of my business, but then I also have online availability for anyone in Texas. And then interestingly, Florida, they recently allowed me to start seeing folks there too. So yeah, anyone in Texas and Florida needing help, having those conversations, feel free to give me a call. If I'm not a good fit, I'll help you find someone who is. Yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. And just so everybody knows, they uh, there in the body or in the show notes. You'll be able to find all Steph's background, ways to get in touch with her, uh, different links on there. And so make sure you check those out. And uh, any follow-ups, any questions or information you have, just definitely reach out to her. And uh, she'll love to connect with you. And so definitely check those out in the show notes. You know, Steph, I'm sitting there looking at things and sitting there saying, man, oh, man, what do you do? And so it's like, can you help us and really explain what financial therapy is? And how it's different, let's say, from traditional financial planning or wealth management.
1: Absolutely, right? Like This is one of the number one questions that, that I get from people because it's a relatively new field. Honestly, uh, the Financial Therapy Association, I think, started in 2010. It's combining those aspects of financial planning, right, with the aspects of psychotherapy. And the problem with the field of financial therapy is that Sometimes you don't know what focus your financial therapist has. Sometimes it's folks from the financial world who just like you and your wife wanted to like understand the therapeutic stuff a bit more. So they went and got a little bit of training in therapy. Sometimes it's people from the therapy world who wanted to understand the financial stuff better. And then they went and they became, got more training in the financial side. So when you are looking for a financial therapist, just, you know, do a little research. Financial therapy association is a great place to start, but if you're wanting more financial planning and you want someone who understands the psychology of it, go with a financial planning person who has financial therapy training. If you're needing more communication help, relationship help, or kind of Even within yourself, (laughs) communicating with yourself about money too. Look for a financial therapist who has more of the psychological training. And if you're looking in particular for help with your marriage, help with your relationship with your children, you want to look for a licensed marriage and family therapist Mm -hmm. who has training in financial therapy. Because licensed marriage and family therapy it's the only field in the entire United States that has requirements in the training to have relational hours. All the other licenses are beautiful and wonderful, but they just have a slightly different focus. And so, what I do, my other folks who my other licensed marriage and family therapists, we really are looking at the system. We're looking at the components of okay, what's going on here? Because a lot of times, this just came up in a session this week. We know what to do, Stephanie we have a financial planner who told us what to do. We can't do it. (laughs) Why can't we do it? What's stopping us from doing this? And a lot of times it's that they haven't had those conversations that they need to have. And that's what I help them do. And it's amazing time and time again, they say, Oh my God, I wish we had done this 10 years ago. Because I've been wanting to say this thing and I didn't know how to say it in a way that wasn't horribly offensive Mm -hmm. (laughs) right, or really going to hurt the other person. And so we can come and have those conversations and it's beautiful to see we have these financial conversations and then the cascading effects that it has on the rest of the relationship.
0: You know, that is just so amazing. When you think about it, you know, I've been working in financial planning since 1991. So that's 32, 33 years Man, I just—I just aged myself, I guess, a little bit there. But <laughs> so, but what's amazing is that period of time working with over three thousand families. You know, Steph, I have seen so many people that man, they get phenomenal financial advice, and yet it, there is some level of a wall that they cannot move past. They can't come to agreement as far as, you know, if they're married or if they're in a a committed relationship um, or if they have extended family involved in decision-making, they can't get to those decisions to actually execute. And so they're not really following through as far as on things they need to do to improve their situation. And so it's just phenomenal. And so when you think about that stuff and you're kind of walking through that, you probably see it all the time, right? And so I guess a question would be, you know, we have we're seeing these different generations. We have baby boom generation, we have Gen X, we have Gen Y. Is there a difference in how you walk through a conversation with people based upon those generations? Or do you see a lot of the similar principles that can be applied universally?
1: Fantastic question. I love that you brought in the generational piece. It's interesting. The level of um Missed communication. I won't say miscommunication. I'll say missed communication. Opportunities to connect they didn't take full advantage of. That's very similar. People have similar money hangups across (laughs) the generations, right? But I will say that it's interesting with my millennials, you know, um, Gen Zers, Gen Xers, they have kind of a little bit more hopefulness sometimes of how to get out of the mess. Right, and I'm, I'm talking folks who, you know, maybe have built up quite a bit of credit card debt. Like I've had some folks come to me with six figures of credit card debt, wow. like that high. Wow. And that can be, um, if the younger you are, the more hopeful you are about getting out of that. My folks who come to me and they're at retirement age, they tend to kind of be approaching it. We have to do some work to get out of that hopelessness. I find that more that there's kind of this, you know, well, what can we change? You know, there's no time to change. And so we have to do some work around, you can change two things. You can change the situation financially, or you can change your mindset. And so with my, with my like younger generation folks, we're working on both. With my folks who are already at retirement age, we're working more on mindset. We're working more, okay, what are the facts we've got here? And how can we shift y'all's way of looking at this? That's going to still align with your values and virtues? How are we going to see, okay, maybe you're not going to hit these financial hopes and dreams that you had. How can we mourn that? And then how can we also look at what we still have? How can we see, okay, yeah, we're missing that, but what do we have to work with? What did you accomplish? What can you still, right? And so it's it's this piece of I always like saying life is not just about living well it's about dying well that your last thoughts as you leave this plane of existence hopefully aren't man i really regret that <laughs> hopefully it's god that was fun wow. right and so we get we get very philosophical very quickly <laughs> about you know how to live the rest of your life aligned with the values that you hold most dear And so that would be, I think, the biggest difference is that uh, where we're working, uh, depending upon generational um, standing. Yeah.
0: Hmm. That's so interesting. So when you kind of walked in those conversations and you're starting to see maybe the younger they are, they've not had, uh, I'll say the things of life that kind of dash hope, right? And so we still have a lot of hope. And so whenever we're looking at that, sometimes the hope is unrealistic. And so how do you go in then to say, okay, uh, let's put some practical parameters. Is there a pragmatic way to walk through that? Are there certain steps you like to see folks walking through?
1: Yeah, for sure. So where I see that, it's almost like it's bringing up for me. Generally, <laughs> folks tend to be in two camps. Money is safety and we need to guard it. And it's like very precious or Yolo, you only live once. Money is to be spent and and enjoyed, and you don't know about tomorrow. Really? And they always marry each other. Uh-huh. They, and I think there's something like really wise in that because they need to marry each other. You need this person who's clinging too much to money to marry the person who can't hold on to it because they help each other, right? Those strengths help each other. But I think that you know, with that YOLO mentality, right? That person who's just spending, spending, spending. I think that sometimes there can be this, that over hopefulness I think is at the root of it is we'll be fine. We'll always make more money. We're okay. And so some of the pragmatic stuff is looking at the data together. And that's something I love about the financial therapy. Um, You know, we compared financial therapy to financial counseling before, but one of the great comparisons too is, It's different from traditional marriage therapy, traditional marriage therapy. We're looking at the relationship. We're looking at the communication. We're looking at all these pieces and we're maybe not doing the pragmatic steps. Now, I I don't do any investment advising. I refer to friends like you for that piece because that's not, I'm not a CPA. I'm not, I'm not in that world or a CFA either. You know, kind of, I leave that to those folks who do that really well, but I do talk about Um, where people have the most control and where people tend to have the most control to move their budget is in discretionary spending, that fun money, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so my folks who are overly hopeful are kind of in YOLO world, they need a number. They need a fun money budget. Mm -hmm. And also the person who is a little financially anxious and is clinging to money also needs fun money because they never spend a dime because they think it's not safe. And so, what I do with all my couples is, and the answer thus far has been, we don't have one. I always ask, do y'all have a budgeted like fun money each month that you each get to spend? And the answer thus far has 100% of the time been, no, we don't. Hmm. Maybe someday I'll meet some folks who do, but having that designated money that is yours to spend and the person who's terrified to spend money feels safe doing so because it's accounted for. And the person who is a little too hopeful, a little too uh, kind of overspendy, they also can spend safely because they say, okay, I know my limit, right? It's this beautiful um, where they, the boundary, right? They have boundary spending, but not where they're asphyxiated. It hmm. should feel limiting, but not suffocating.
0: Hmm. How do things change then as we're going from, you know, let's say a foundational uh, financial planning individual you're working with. And so maybe a little bit on the younger age, under age 40, let's just say that way, into maybe those in the baby boom generation or even the generation right after that. Uh, Let's say those that are 55 to like, let's say, 65 or 70. Does some of the psychology change? Does some of their thoughts change? Do do you still see some of those that are really wrestling with that whole fear um, and greed? And um, does a psychology change as you talk to them?
1: Do you mean generationally?
0: Generationally, yeah. Or the same underlying concerns there that just kind of work out in a different way.
1: Yeah, I honestly, I'm reflecting on on my folks and every single generation has the fears. They might be for different reasons. Mm. One of the things we discuss on our intakes is family of origin. What were your money lessons you got from childhood? Not just your family, from your Mm. friends growing up from your culture tv that you watched it all informed our ideas of what we think we're supposed to do with our money Mm -hmm. who we think is supposed to manage the money in a relationship gender roles all that stuff the information feeding those money um ideas changes generation to generation um you know because the tv that a baby boomer watched is different than the tv that uh you know, a Gen Z or watched or a millennial. And now <laughs> you have even younger folks. I don't get too many people in their thirties, but I, but I do sometimes, or sorry, in their twenties, they just sometimes they're informed by TikTok, right? They're informed by other different social media. And so the way that it informs you changes, but I would say probably it, it really does categorize into does money scare you? And it can scare you in different ways, or do you kind of, not think about it, that scarcity mindset versus um, abundance mindset. I actually don't like either of those mindsets. <laughs> I like an ambivalence mindset that mixes both of those because both those mindsets have very have some very good parts to them. I think abundance mindset can be dangerous, and I think that mm-hmm. scarcity mindset is also dangerous, and I think we need to combine the two Wow together,
0: yeah, I love that, and you see that a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times they kind of in their mind, they kind of presuppose or gravitate or force themselves to gravitate one way or the other. And the reality is you have balance in that. Otherwise it'll put you in a bad spot. And you know so oftentimes where we're at in life at this moment is really a sum composition of all of our previous experiences. And so by asking those questions that really delve into uh, their views of money and, and what are some early experiences in that that actually gives you a great idea, as far as why we're thinking the way that we're thinking. Now, what's kind of interesting is that as we've kind of seen um, one of the things that we're having a lot of people, a lot of our clients, really ask us to come alongside is really kind of working on that multi-generation, working together with generations to say, okay, how do we take uh, the philosophy of one generation as related to money and how do we take uh, the things that are important to, Let's say a mom and a dad, now that they have adult children and grandchildren, how do we transition that down to next generations? And so we're actually working on, we've accomplished about two of these, uh, where we have family summits. Uh, Go away for a weekend with the family. And uh, myself and Stacy are involved in that. We're bringing Drew along also, but where we actually sit down and start to walk them through um, not just the financial, but also some of the background things. And so, one of the questions our dear friend Brian Guru had asked, which he was on a previous episode phenomenal consulting background, Um, top exec at a large Fortune 50 firm, and a dear friend of our firm that we actually walked through with his family. We're getting ready to reinitiate that again now that his wife has passed away, and uh, it's been a phenomenal process to walk through, but he asked me this last week while we were having some coffee. He said, John, how when you're walking through things, and we have different people of different backgrounds, and then we have You know, we have in-laws that are coming into the mix, With our kids are getting married or having a significant partner, and then all of a sudden they have different backgrounds. Well, how does one really design this exact relationship with money that they desire? Is there a process to actually design it? We know we all have some composition of our past experiences, where we're at at this point. But we're saying that we want to actually design a mindset toward money, Are there steps to walk through and do that? Steph, what have you seen on that? Is there a process to walk through that?
1: Absolutely. And I love that you're doing that work. I've got quite a few clients who, uh, you know, one partner comes from generational wealth Mm -hmm. and then the other partner does not. And there's a lot of power dynamics there that come Mm -hmm. into play. Mm -hmm. There can be suspicion of motive. Of the, part, there's, um, of the partner who's coming into the relationship who doesn't have as much money. Are you with me for my money? Or do you actually love me? There can be suspicion on part of the family and this weird dynamic. There's so much there. It's so rich. And I'm so glad you're having those conversations um, with families because it just creates transparency, right? Mm-hmm. Safety and transparency so they can have these discussions. But, but back to your question about What's the process for designing a relationship with money that you want and something where you can be very intentional about it. It has to come first and foremost from an investigation of, okay, what rules did I get about money from childhood, from current experience, from I'm a millennial. I have tons of like, (laughs) you know, financial traumas happen to millennials generationally. Right. So like, how do we take all those money lessons? And then have your partner list them. Have your children list them. It must be so beautiful, right? I have a two-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um, the eight-year-old already is getting money lessons for me. I can mm-hmm. tell. <laughs> she, you know, this, so it's, it's so cool to see my eight-year-old and her development of her money ideas. So I can imagine that seeing your adult children talk about what their money lessons were mm-hmm. might be very uh, challenging. Sure. It might be really beautiful. So getting to where you guys can talk about what lessons y'all got and then saying, which ones do I want to keep and which ones need to go in the garbage, right? Which ones were healthy and good that I align with and which ones are just weird and don't fit anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe they did fit at once, but they don't fit anymore. And then what are the money values that I would like to have that I don't quite have yet? are some things that I would like to change about my relationship with money. You know, one of the biggest ones I hear is I want to understand it more. I don't, it freaks me out. I, I don't know how to do it. I, I want to understand, or I don't want to understand it at all. I just want to be told a number and that's it. And that's all I want. And that piece can be really helpful just defining what values do I have around money that I want to keep? Which ones do I want to get rid of? And which ones do I want to gain? And then having a a plan for how to do each of those, how to maintain the ones you have that you like, how to get rid of the ones that you don't like, and then how to reach the ones that you aspire towards.
0: That's so interesting. I know Way back in this is gonna this is a, I'm going way back to the day now stuff. I mean, way back in 1987, the fall of 1987, I was actually in my freshman year of my undergraduate program, oh. and I had a professor in. Uh, I was taking a class called World Views. And so um, it was an interesting class. And he is a, uh, he was from Germany originally and uh, passed away a couple of years ago. But he would sit there and he just was sitting his blazer on uh, with a beautiful Ohio countryside. And and all of a sudden he yelled out the word, he goes, Velten John. And it's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, it's your world and life view. Um, at the end of the day, what is it that is driving you down deep inside? What is your world life view? And he goes let's take it away just from maybe that deep you know stake in the ground position. However, let's apply how those things that are core to you, your values, let's take the, those character traits, those things, your heritage, your legacy, those things that are that are really a sum of who you are. but now let's apply it to things like your view on money. Um, your view on finances. Let's take it now and apply it onto your view of how you live life. And then how does that translate to how do you view people? And so all of a sudden now, while we've been chatting about this, it's kind of like I'm seeing families that are coming together. And just had was with one for breakfast this last week on Monday. And there was some, I want to say, some financial infidelity in the home uh, between one of the spouses. There were some spending habits that they had talked about, And they were hiding those spending habits after the conversation, so it led into a lack of trust. And so it actually went to a discussion step on what's important about those possessions that you're buying that you want to actually damage the relationship. So I'm sitting here now thinking about clients specifically um, that are in that pre-retirement phase. They're heading to really kind of a change of life stage. And with that change of life stage comes a lot more uncertainty initially, because they used to work for a living, or currently work for a living, get a paycheck, and now we're going to a world where we don't. And they have a wonderful, loving relationship in which they have the blessing of being apart from each other for 40 or 50 hours a week while they're at work, and now they're going to see each other all the time. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of challenge in that change, and then we have this financial infidelity, or we have past financial differences. So now we're looking at, let's say, a 55 to 65-year-old. What do you see then as far as steps for them as they walk through um, this conversation, as they start to identify what's important about money to them, what's important about the relationship with money? How do they walk through that healing process?
1: Yeah, I love this topic of financial infidelity because it's something that just like physical infidelity, people, they don't talk about what it means often. So yeah, this piece of financial infidelity is extremely important. And it's, it's really common. There's multiple ways that you can have financial infidelity into your relationship. It can be from hiding spending, which is the one that you were just talking about can also be from hiding income, right? Where I have income. I'm scared to tell my spouse about it because I'm afraid they're going to, they're going to start dreaming and thinking of something and I don't want them to do that. So to protect the family, I'm just going to hide this. Right. So the, the intention behind financial fidelity can sometimes be really good. Right. But a lot of times I am seeing this financial fidelity come out with credit cards being opened that they didn't tell the other person about um, loans being taken out investments, um, taking some investments that they weren't told about. And so How to kind of rebuild trust after that is transparency, just like physical infidelity, right? There's this time and period of transparency afterwards, and setting up a loving accountability. You want a system where the person who, you know, who committed the infidelity is held to count, but you don't want to crucify them because. That's just going to That's just gonna hurt the relationship even more. And so I think that establishing this transparency piece, and I'm telling you, I've worked with some folks who have had some financial infidelity that's so uh, crushing, especially around gambling addiction. Gambling is not legal in Texas, but because of all these rules change about sports betting, sports betting is legal everywhere now because it's online, um, scratch off tickets, Or even we are next to Louisiana. People drive over to the casinos. There's lots of different ways. But then also um, day trading. The day trading apps, I don't know if you've seen them. It's a little casino in your pocket. It is, it's gambling. It is gambling. And so you see this gambling behavior pop up. So people who are having gambling addiction issues around one of those things or overspending, um, sometimes we have to get pretty structured with how we re-establish the trust and have transparency. And it can, again, it has to be done with consent. This is, you would never do this behind your partner's back. In fact, you, you can't do it. You have to do it with their consent to get the passwords. But folks who do admit, okay, I have a problem. I cannot stop spending, mm-hmm. either on gambling or credit cards or whatever, where they, uh, we do detox. Just like a detox from you know, alcohol addiction, we do a detox from spending and they're put on an allowance with a debit card and all the other accounts, the passwords are changed. The partner who does not have the spending or gambling problem changes the passwords. They freeze their credit so they can't take out credit. And they change those passwords as well to where they can't take out a line of credit and they're put on the allowance. And John, I'm telling you, like the both partners feel such safety in it right? The partner who has the spending addiction or the um, gambling addiction, they feel safe that they're not going to fall again, that they're not going to do it again. And then the partner who was left in the dark with all this, they feel safe that, okay, like, yeah, they might spend their allowance on gambling or overspending, but they're not going to hurt the family finances, right? Mm -hmm. Now, again, If it's not so much a spending addiction issue or a gambling issue or something big like that, you might not need that extreme of a reaction, but you do want to establish those roads of transparency and communication. How are we talking about our spending? Mm -hmm. I go back to that that discretionary fund money I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this person who had the financial infidelity and had the overspending, I wonder if they knew an, an amount that they were supposed to be spending or not, right? I just I wonder about like having standards and expectations for the family, and really just especially when you're transitioning. I, I help transition people from income versus interest, right? Yeah. Living off of income versus living off interest. Yeah. It is scary. Mm-hmm. It's really scary of of that. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait, can we do this? I think we can. Can we do this? And I think that having that really clear plan and really clear communication helps a lot. But again, I understand that that communication can be very frightening for people sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It seems like once you get the plan in place, it's not just as far as the actual the action steps you're going to take, as far as you gave the example, as far as the one that uh, had said financial infidelity, so we have that spending amount that they have the ability to spend on their own, all of, no access to other accounts. You walk through the practical steps, but it seems like during that period of time, and then and then even after that, once that's set up, that communication is key in the midst of it. And even the I would even happen to think the individual that is saying that they're the ones that have the 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 spending issue or the gambling issue, whatever it is. Um, they really need to have the freedom to come back and say, Hey, um, right now, just so you know, I'm really being challenged by this. I'm, I'm, and they have the freedom to do that. And if they don't, they're not having true communication in that relationship. And they're never going to walk through that together, I wouldn't think.
1: Right. Exactly. Like it's not just about doing the detox and yeah. setting up the, Hey, you've got your debit card um, with no overdraft, right? <laughs> you've got your debit card set up. Yeah. And you can spend that money and there we go. Now we're done. No, it's about working through. Why did my brain go to that for stress Mm -hmm. relief? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Why that? Right. And what am I replacing it with actively? Mm. And can I go to my, can I go to my beloved? Can I go to my partner and say, Hey, oh my God, I really want to go camping right now. Okay. Well, what's going on? What are you feeling? feeling really nervous I've got this thing going on and with my with my parents and their health and I'm scared about them right you you can use that itch as an opportunity to connect Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right and but if you don't feel safe going to your partner then it's a missed opportunity for connection and and really it's Mm -hmm. this whole the, the retirement um dream and hope so many people situate it financially. And That's a big mistake. You yeah. Gotta situate it relationally. You have to be thinking about, and y'all young ones who might be listening to this, think about who you're marrying, who you're dating. Yeah, it, I'm not saying don't have fun, but if you're wanting to like settle down and plan your life with someone, make sure it's someone who has these qualities who you know they want to walk through the hard stuff of life with you. Right. There's a reason we take marriage vows. Okay. (laughs) Because it's hard. If it were easy, we wouldn't have to take marriage vows. (laughs) We wouldn't have to promise anything, you know, because we would just want to stay in it. No, it's really hard. It's really hard to walk through life with somebody. And so neglecting your communication, neglecting your connection to the other person is just as bad as neglecting your stock portfolio. And so taking that time has huge benefits, huge benefits, because not only does it help you build wealth better, it's literally a great wealth building mechanism. But it also means that when you retire, you actually want to spend time with this person Mm -hmm. that you've been planning for retirement with.
0: Right. Because without that relationship, what does it matter what money you have? Um, It's like, what are we doing this for? And so it's just, you know, it, it breaks my heart when I see so many folks that are walking through things. It doesn't matter your age or matter your generation. And, uh, man, we got so many listeners, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. We have a client down in Florida, early 90s, listening. And I know she's going to ping me and say, man, that's a word I needed to hear 50 years ago. And it's like, why do we go through life and we don't deal with these relational issues when it comes to money because it's robbing us of the joy that we should be living in life and yet, you know, we're up 23% in the last 12 months. Big deal. It doesn't matter at the end of the day, folks. And so I'm sitting there thinking, man, it's uh, this convoy, We're getting kind of here to the end of time stuff. We have just <laughs> been rocking and rolling. I I love to have you back on the show. As a matter of fact, I, I, we're actually recording this episode. Um, but if you want to hop on a plane and be up here in about three hours, uh, Stacy's heading out to a conversation with somebody that actually just has some financial infidelity in their marriage, and and uh, is like she's walking through in a counsel situation, and it's something that we're all faced with all the time, every day. And folks, I want to encourage you: when you're going through things of life, don't go it alone. Um, and when you're walking through stuff relationally, and it comes to finances, it's really about walking with people that have the training and the experience to say, let's have some conversations. Let's walk together with Steph. Let's walk through and have some conversation about how do we do practical steps. And someone's going to ask us questions. That's going to listen with empathy. Uh, but then also going to give us practical steps to say, hey, let's take this step. And let's do it with trust. Let's do it with communication. And let's walk through and navigate it well. And, um, guys, I want to encourage you to connect with Steph. Also, if you have any questions, feel free to send them over as far as in the message. Hey, we'll put quick step. We covered a lot of things. Uh, I know we have a lot more to talk about in time. But anything, any last parting things you want to encourage folks with uh, uh, before we sign off today?
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to say that although we've talked a lot of really complicated stuff and it, it might seem overwhelming, mm. it's very hopeful. I have seen folks come back from such pain such depths of thinking, Oh my God, but there's no way we- there are ways out of it. So make sure that you, um, it's never too late. It's never too late to change. Even if you're thinking, Oh, this relationship's over. It's awful. There's no good left in it. If you have a shred of hope, it can be enough to fill the entire relationship. So, uh, please hold on to that hope and be sure to reach out for help, just like John was saying.
0: Yeah. Man, great words, Steph. I'll tell you what, I still appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate spending time with us today. And uh, everybody, we're going to connect again uh, sometime soon. Make sure you keep on listening and everything's set up to drop down uh, new episodes whenever they hit. Uh, well, thank you so much for being with us today here on uh, Great Decisions, Incredible Lies. And we will chat with everybody again next week. Talk to you all later. Bye bye. Thank you again for listening to the Great Decisions, Incredible Lives, Retire With Intention podcast with host John Kreekmer. Follow us on social media, visit our website, and join our community of like-minded individuals redefining retirement and living incredible lives. Please leave us a review and share our podcast with others who may benefit. We wish you a future filled with purpose, fulfillment, and the joy of living your incredible life
1: in retirement.